PT Pro Talk Podcast, the fastest way to increase your knowledge with the brightest minds of physical therapy in your pocket. Welcome to PT Pro Talk Podcast. I am Ariana Tondo, your host for today. In this episode, Chris Wolf will talk about his private practice that specializes in athletic adults and athletes with concentration in the endurance athlete. Chris uses his experience in outpatient orthopedics, sports medicine, his advanced training in manual therapy, Mackenzie Mulligan Maitland, and tells how he combines all of this with video analysis and dorsal V technology in his practice. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Chris. Welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good, and I'm happy to finally uh, get to our conversation uh, after trying for a couple of times. Now finally worked, so I'm excited. So let's jump right in. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your career, and how did you get to where you are right now? Yes, yeah, so I've been practicing for 14 years now. So when I think about reversing back to where we all kind of started, um, Again, I'm Chris Wolf, physical therapist by trade, and I've been practicing in Nashville uh, for 14 years. Um, I graduated from a program in Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia. That's where I grew up outside of Savannah, Georgia. And I did my undergraduate work in Tennessee. Really, at the time, comically, I did that just to get away from home eight hours away. But I, but it put me in Tennessee where I did my undergraduate work in biology and chemistry. Um, and I fell in love with Tennessee. Um, and it's an interesting story that we may not even get to why I think I fell in love with Tennessee. That I didn't really find out until 14 years later. But um, that's a different tangent for a different day. But uh, anyway, um, and I did, you know, I. I fell in love with uh, physical therapy really just by chance in high school where I, I drove my parents crazy trying to figure out what I wanted to do as a profession, probably most, like most students do. And I volunteered at a physical therapy clinic after reading about it. And I fell in love with the act of truly what probably it brings most people to physical therapy, helping people. I had no personal experience with it. I, I was blessed with not having any major injuries in high school. I fell in love with it um, because I saw a mother um, working with an occupational therapist and her being so emotional about being able to perform well on a pegboard. Uh, and that those who don't know what that is, you know, you're putting, it's working fine dexterity of your fingers and being able to put a pin in a hole in a piece of wood, which most people would not even realize what that means. But what that meant for her is that she was able to hold her baby. And that impacted me. It still impacts me today when I tell that story. And I knew then I was like, that's the impact I need to have on people. I need to have a physical impact on them. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so from high school, I entered into college knowing I wanted to do PT, but I was told, hey, most likely you're going to change your, your, your degree or your major 
I think the average is what, seven to eight times for this collegiate student now. So I was like, okay, I guess that's statistics. They don't lie. So I'll do pre-med. So I did pre-med, but I never changed my mind. And I was blessed to be in a somewhat challenging program of biology and chemistry that I couldn't wait to get out of because learning and writing about the lifestyle of pine trees really is not really what I wanted to do. But I um, applied to PT school. I was accepted. And then I went straight through that program and I did all my rotations in Tennessee because uh, I knew I just wanted to live in Tennessee and I wanted to network and, and get good connections. And then as soon as I graduated, I took my boards in Tennessee and that was at the very end of 2006. And I uh, packed up my vehicle and I moved here the day before I turned 25. And that that day will st stand out to infamy, infamy for me just um, uh, being the uh, milestone for, for good things to happen. So that's a little bit about my background. Um, and just, uh, I've been, again, since then, I've been practicing in orthopedics and sports medicine um, for going on 14 years now. Nice. Uh, so I know you have a private practice. Yes. And your public's a little different. So you see athletes and athletic adults. So do you want to like tell us a little bit about that? I know you said that they yes. have a distinction between them. So let's yeah. talk about that. No, I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I worked in outpatient orthopedic sports medicine for um, a little over 10 years. And um, obviously, I was able to grant, gain a valuable experience and knowledge and really find out where uh, I wanted to kind of somewhat specialize in. And I, from my own personal experience, um, when I when I turned 30 years old, um, I just kind of made a promise to myself, not that I was in an unhealthy state, but just like most people do, you know, you make milestone goals and I wanted to be healthier in my 30s than I was in my 20s. And I have a running background where I just enjoy recreational jogging and running. And I wanted, I started mountain biking a lot in Middle Tennessee, and I've always done that. And I wanted to start road cycling. And then it's, I started thinking about adopting that into swimming. And I'm a terrible swimmer. I was a horrible swimmer, mm -hmm. which again, we could go into stories about that anyway. I entered into a community of triathlon um, and I started falling in love with that sport. And I then um, started diving deeper into what goes into that sport from a, um, a healthcare side, keeping people active. And I loved that. That's almost like a lifestyle sport where you can grow old in and you can be considered an athlete as an age group athlete, not just from high school and college, but also somebody who's who's racing triathlon in their 50s and 60s. And, and being and thriving in that. And I love that. Um, and I, I was welcomed into that community um, as I started racing triathlon and I started concentrating on my uh, marathon distance as well. And I started having this love interest of reading into the research and um, knowing how best to serve and treat the running athlete um, of all ages and the triathlete. Um, and as I started to work with that, uh, I started to specialize in um, endurance related injuries um, and which can be found in swimmers and cyclists and in runners and primarily runners because that's that's a challenge. That's more hard. It's harder on the body in different ways. 
Um, but I started basically soaking up every single piece of information I could find. I started following good people, started being mentored by other great clinicians that did well, started taking my, concentrating my CEU courses on those type of, um, those type of injuries and those type of athletes. And eventually I knew that if I wanted to take my level of knowledge and practice to another higher level, I needed to work with that community very closely and more of a one-on-one -on -one basis. And that's when I decided to open up my private practice, concentrating on what I say, you know, motivated individuals, because those who enter those type of sports or want to stay in, in some type of athletic realm for their life, they're motivated. This isn't for somebody you have to talk to into being compliant with exercises or being compliant with getting off the couch. They're self-motivated and working with somebody who's self-motivated, independent. It's such a beautiful thing because now all you have to do is just give them tools and educate them, teach them to fish, right? Um, so that's where I started doing my private practice where I wanted to be able to move outside of a normal clinical setting. And I wanted to be able to look at an individual from a very holistic standpoint of health and fitness and truly healthcare and try to help people get out. I wanted to work my way out of a job, basically. I wanted to work my way out of being a healthcare provider and truly teach the person how to be healthy and fit and being able to get back to their level of competition, um, wherever that may be. And so where I try, what I tell people, I try to move them toward their goals of health, fitness, or performance. And that pretty much will cover pretty much anything. If somebody just wants to feel healthy and be able to be active with their children or be a weekend warrior, I love that, wherever that sport looks like. My specialty is definitely running and endurance sports, but with my background, I, I can help in many other areas. And, um, but those who want to work on, uh, maybe they are a high school collegiate athlete, or maybe they, again, they are, they are an age group athlete, um, or somebody who's truly going toward um, a performance where they're not even hurt at all. They just want to look at how do I actually get better? And unfortunately, in a normal clinical setting, physical therapist, we our knowledge base on certain issues. Um, we aren't really equipped to know how to take somebody to that level. You know, um, you know, in teaching in academia now, we're not designed to teach people really how to take somebody beyond um, a good subacute phase or out of there after their initial injury and turn them back into true function and true performance. Oh, lost my light again. <laughs> Speaking of academia here, you know, I'm, I'm coming from Belmont University and one of the best ways we save money here at Belmont is having our lights on automatic <laughs> switches. So if I don't move around and flail around enough, they'll think that uh, I've left the room and they'll yeah, shut so the lights off. So if you see him like lifting his arm, I exactly right. know what's going on. <laughs> That's right. If I just have to kind of talk, very much with my hands, you'll know why. So I knew that truly moving out of the healthcare system into true life and back to physical activity, you have to move beyond somebody being stuck in a medical the medical system. And unfortunately, physical therapists are we're very well and very good in being trained to get somebody about 80%. And that's kind of in the research right now, where most people, after having an injury, they they basically say that I was able to get 80% improved. Um, and that 20% seems to be so elusive and be so difficult for people to get. And unfortunately, it's very hard for people to get that back unless their care is very individualized and you truly can sit down and learn what someone's true goals are and how do you actually work beyond the table from what I say 
and truly whether you're getting your feet planted and how do you know and are you educated enough to help somebody discover what their sleep cycles are, what their um, true hydration levels are, what their true dietary needs are, what their true fitness levels are and how do you actually work that around their lifestyle of work and can you actually spend time and dig in with somebody about that? And I think that's what it takes in order to move people from 80 to 100%. And I knew if I wanted to work on that 20%, and that's really my niche. I love working with somebody from zero to 80, but what I try to create an environment for is that we thrive on the 80 to 100. And because it takes that extra push and that extra knowledge, and it takes a while to gain that extra knowledge to do that. So my practice now, um, we focus again, that's a long-winded answer, again, on active individuals, moving them toward, again, their health, fitness, or performance. Um, I specialize in running and endurance, and then I network very closely with wonderful strength coaches and other good, um, other good coaches as well. So we move that person toward um, strength training and learning truly how to become healthy, and that has to go beyond what you do on the table. Yeah. So I think that was a uh, very interesting everything you just said and I had I have some background working with triathletes as well. So we know like yes. if you want a performance you you can't just do the traditional way of treating because what they do with their bodies it's it's insane. I think yes. you finished one Ironman didn't you? I read somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, one full Ironman distance under my belt. Um, it's funny how I, everybody, I, still live, I say I live vicariously in that community right now. I concentrate more on the marathon distance right now. Um, but I raced for five years between sprint and Olympic and then half iron distances for several. And then I did my full iron distance. My wife was about eight and a half months pregnant with our first oh, wow. little girl. And so I think she walked, I think her pedometer says she walked a half uh, marathon that day of my race just for viewing. And she was eight and a half months pregnant. Uh, (laughs) And um, after that race, uh, I I love the sport, but I told her I would back off from the amount of time and training I was doing there so I could just be more present with the family. And so it was easier for me to concentrate on one sport on the marathon from a performance standpoint and then I bike and swim recreationally now with the goal of stepping back into that uh, from a competitive level. Um, but um, yeah, time is of the essence. So it's interesting because I'm from Florianopolis, South Brazil, and yes. we we have Ironmans every year. It's like one of the, the places that they do. So I work as a physical therapist for three or four years, I think. So we were there since the time they started. It was like, 6 or 7 a.m. I don't remember and the technical limit uh, of the, the the whole thing it was midnight but yes. we stayed yep. there after it was people coming after midnight yeah yes and it was like just oh my god like it's crazy people really they are here because they want to do this for themselves they just come like on the finish line yep just barely walking it's just crazy so it's a it's a beautiful sport. Um, again, one that uh, I love being a part of. And even if there, there's slight delays in, in competing, uh, being able to help those individuals um, feel better and perform better. I uh, love it. I love it so much. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. And what you said about the self-motivation, 
you don't need much to to no. convince them to do their homework. They you have to convince them to don't don't overdo their homework. Yes, yes, so much, so much. <laughs> and that's why it goes beyond. It's not it goes beyond just saying, yeah, do this on the sheet of paper. It's so much more beyond that. And those who know the sport, and I think that's why people those type of athletes, they want to work with somebody who knows their sport because uh, that's not the person you tell them, oh, just do less. Oh, oh, this isn't working. Oh, just don't show up that day. You're like, that's not an option, uh-uh. right? So mm-hmm. understanding that athlete, having that mindset and being able to discuss with them and look at their training plan, that speaks volumes to somebody. And I think that's really where I, I've been able to kind of help that, where I can look at someone's training plan and I can understand it. And I can help write training plans. Um, I work and then I befriend and I work really well with their coaches and having a conversation with a coach on the phone and they're adjusting that person's training plan before they walk out the door. Um, who who doesn't want to be a part of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the volume of train trainings is crazy. Yeah. So huge. It's just yeah. And so now let's talk about your approach. So how okay. do you treat these patients? Like what tools, techniques you use? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been that's such a great question uh, and that continues to evolve. And that's what's beautiful about um, working with that population and seeing the more and more become educated, um, figuring out how best to use the tools to interpret the information. Because there's a, you know, there's I always say there's always better mousetraps coming out uh, to get the same job done. You know, and that's just the beauty of technology nowadays where, there's going to constantly be software coming out and camera systems and information and watches and, and Garmin, new updates to Garmin information. And we can be so riddled with data um, and we love it, but nobody knows how to truly interpret that data. Nobody knows what to truly do with it. And that's where I think a lot of the art comes in. So when I work with somebody they contact me. I usually try to jump on a phone call with them, which is now being in private practice, giving me the ability to block off 20 minutes, 30 minutes on a phone call before I even see the person. So I can aid even determine, am I the right person for you? Because this isn't about me trying to like get constant people in to kind of come see me. I want to make sure that I'm the right person for them to see. My practice is the right person for them to see. And many times, majority of the time it is. Um, but there's so much of a connection you can make with somebody on a personal level, which helps you so much when you're trying to help them um, through whatever is force them to call you. But um, discussing them and getting an idea and a glimpse into like w- what the nature of the call is. And somebody contacts me, um, it allows me to determine then when I set that appointment time up, how much time do I think is going to be needed for that first appointment? And in, the, in my practice, we're blessed with the ability to be very fluid with that. So a gentleman that contacted me the other day who, who came out of a half Ironman distance two weeks ago and was suspicious of a lateral foot problem on the outside of his foot and knew that that was going to be a very simple uh, assessment. And as we discussed on the phone for 20 minutes, which was a lot of my history taking anyway, I blocked off 30 to 45 minutes with him and screened him for a stress fracture and advised him on that versus a young man who came to see me who's at a, he's a high level um, uh, high school runner. I blocked off two and a half hours with him. And so that assessment looks different because talking with him on the phone, knowing how deep do I need to go with this person is going to be different. 
and I need to capitalize on that. Um, and when somebody comes to see me, I, sp I, I spend a lot of time getting to know that person and talking with that person and not rushing through my history taking and having a real conversation where I keep a marker board, a whiteboard um, on my wall. And what I typically do is we outline a timetable from when they entered their sport and their entire medical history. We write it out together. And that's been so powerful, not just for me to be able to see connections, but for them to be able to recount and see connections. And then we sit on the table and we brainstorm. And so that's many times where I say, listen, I'm not the doctor in front of you telling you what the problem is and what the, what you're going to have to do. I want to enter into a conversation where we truly brainstorm together because they're the person living with this and they're the biggest source of information for me as well. And I'll brainstorm with them on like what caused it, what's it going to take to get after it. And then what do we look from a prevention standpoint? Um, so we spend a lot of time discussing a lot of times I'll spend somewhere upwards of 45 to an hour talking with somebody and outlining your past medical history. Um, I had to get very comfortable asking very sensitive questions, right? Uh, just about um, some eating disorders and bone stress injuries. Um, different if it's I'm working with a female, talking about talking about sensitive questions there. If I'm working with males, because there's there's so much that goes into healthcare beyond just three sets of ten of exercises. Um, it's so much, and those who don't understand that unfortunately, will always be limited in what they can do uh, on in their world and what they work with patients. But so we spend a lot of time understanding that. And one that builds a ton of rapport, they know where I'm coming from. They really know that my buy-in with them. And when they feel that they're not being interrupted, they can tell their story. Many times that's the first time they've been able to do that because studies show that the time that a patient has with a clinician or a physician is about two minutes and that person's interrupted about 23 times within those two minutes because time is money so much in the healthcare industry and they're just trying to get to a fast solution. And I try to remove that. Um, and being able to remove that, I've been able to make and help people and lead them towards some beautiful outcomes. Um, and we're blessed with being able to travel that road together. So again, I think that's very impactful. And it, that that's not even before I use um, assessment or physical assessment or objective measures. I, I spend so much time with that. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I stress. And I try to educate people on not to, not to rush through that process. And then when uh, my assessment process, um, I learning that it helps me to dial into how do you take um, a normal, how do you, how do you get so good at the fundamentals of a physical assessment and pull from every source of um, experience that I have to do a really good physical assessment on the table, off the table, and then a, a performance assessment. And then if that is a running athlete, and I think that's kind of what we're discussing right now, and not everybody is, and that's okay. Um, if it's a running athlete, then I take the time to figure out what I may or may not see um, with them running. And then uh, we'll spend time on a treadmill where I'll do a video analysis. And then I'll determine if I need to do some software analysis where I'll utilize a company in a software called Dorsa V. Um, and it's basically wireless sensors that fit on the person's tibias. And it spits out information that can, may or may not be helpful. And um, you kind of have to uh, know who you're working with. 
and know what type and how to interpret that information and that data and to see if it's relevant or not. Um, that's why that whole process is so important to get to that point where you then look back into what's in my toolbox where I'm going to make the largest impact for this person today. A lot of times it's digging into their, their training regimen um, because with what we know right now, current evidence shows that 65% of um, running related injuries are due to poor programming and poor training. So that just means 45% of injuries are only related to actually a true weakness or a true tightness. 65% is poor programming and poor decision-making. That's a <laughs> so big number. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So, so if you are only looking at somebody from like, I need to give you the proper exercise or the proper stretch, you're only going to get 45% people better. And I would say that that, that, that probably percentage is probably even skewed. Um, so if you can't even interpret that person's sport and know how to talk to them on so many different levels than just the physical side, unfortunately, you're going to be 45% better. So that's why I spend so much time digging into this, all those other aspects. Um, but then um, looking at somebody running from a video analysis and being able to break that down frame by frame and uh, tying into everything we discussed, everything that we looked at them objectively and reviewing that with them on a flat screen TV and going by that. And then looking at some of the software data um, that shows maybe what the video doesn't pick up on. Um, that's the that value that a lot of times that will bring. And then it's up to us to determine, is this relevant? Do we use this as uh, something we change or just a measure of success for later on down the road? So sorry, again, a very long-winded answer to how, what does that look like for an appointment? No, I think it's huge that you said that you separate so much time because that's something that we don't have on healthcare usually. Uh, so it was funny that my husband, he went to his doctor yesterday to do mm -hmm. his physical and he was mm -hmm. like, I like him because he looked me on my eyes. I was like, what? <laughs> so like, you should be like, okay, now I like him because he looked at me. That's like the bare minimum. And like, we don't, we don't get that. I was just, that just, so just crazy. And, and the treadmill, I think that's very interesting because it's like a good resource, like to do this video analysis and then the sensors. But also another question that I have about that is, um, so sometimes you see adaptations and like how to do if that's relevant or not, because sometimes mm -hmm. it's how they adapt to perform to, you mm -hmm. know, and then you change that and then you change the, the technique, the dynamic of how they, they run or perform. So how do you, how do you differentiate that? Mm. That is such a great question. Um, and it's, a, it's a tough question, right? Um, I th knowing that, so knowing who you, who's in front of you, um, when I, when I'm educating, teaching people how to work with a runner, um, and I, and I think this, I say a runner because that's kind of what we're talking about right now, but I think this is very relevant for anybody in their sport or their passion. Uh, are they, are they brand new to the sport or have they been doing it for years? Because the way that you treat and educate that person, the way that you program for that person is totally different. Um, because what we know from a novice runner, somebody who's just entered the sport, they are most prone to certain running related injuries in the first two years versus if they can survive the first two years of adapting that sport, their running related injuries change completely after that time. 
And if they sustain an injury that lasts longer than three months, that program almost starts over again because their body has uh, non or maladapted to that. Um, because the body is, it can be catabolic in nature where we start to break down if we don't apply loads. And the body is beautiful from the standpoint that if we've adopted a certain adaptation or a compensation for something, you have to be very strategic to know, do you start to mess around with that and change that? Or can you understand that person's body or past medical history so well of understanding they have to do this in order to do the sport? If you start to change this, it will have a, a ripple effect and have so much of effect on other things. And you've lost the whole concept. And I think that's important for people to know, because a lot of people, you know, it's sexy to say that, yeah, we're doing running analysis. We're doing treadmill analysis, you know, and we do, we're, we're doing this and this and this, and we're getting all this data. And that's why I go back to saying, yeah, that, that's really sexy to say that but it really comes down to, do you really know how to interpret that? And do you really know how to utilize that data? Because, you can know running terminology, but if you just start trying to pigeonhole and make everybody look the same, that is not the route. And no one runs the same. No one, no one, no one should look the same when they do a certain exercise. And then understanding the person's body, where they've come from, where they want to go, like what, what are their major goals from a performance standpoint, or what are their goals from um, just recreationally? Um, that will that has to dictate where you go to start changing certain things. Yeah, so I think that's huge, uh, and you just you're just able to understand all that, all of that, if you are able to take a good history and have a good subjective yeah. exam. So I think that's just complement each other, and that's why, in like when you are rehearsing patients, you can really do that and and have yeah. this this outcome. That's right. That's right. You know, when you, when you are, we don't have the time to dig in deep individually, then you have to be careful about making search changes because you really don't know what effect you're going to have on that. So you don't have the big, big picture. You don't, you don't yeah, have that's, all that's the different. Details. You know, that's, that's the difference between, you know, working with an Olympic qualifier marathoner and what her goals are, are totally different than working with somebody who's just into the sport for two, two years ago and they're just trying to run their first half marathon, right? Yeah. They both have the same goal. They want to perform in a healthy way. But the way that you address um, that one person and how they should be performing or exercising or programming is totally different than the cues, the running cues, or how you interpret information on somebody who is, um, who's being paid to run. Yeah. And this that you said is 65%. I'm just surprised with this number because it's, mm, yeah. I wouldn't, I wasn't imagined that would be that much the impact of the, the, all the training. So that's very important to have a close relationship with the coach or with who is planning their, their training. Right. So, yes. Or yeah, just talking to the person and saying like, do you actually have a plan? Right. Because a lot of people don't. And, no, and, you, yeah. and you don't say that and you, you don't say that in a judgmental way. And that's why, you know, you're trying to build a rapport with this person. So it's all about how you communicate and how you motivationally communicate an interview with somebody is so powerful. Just understanding what what has led to this. And I need to be able to make a decision. Is this really just a reflection of poor programming? Because if it's just a reflection of poor programming, then if I don't fix the programming, everything else I give this person is probably 
null and void. And maybe I don't need to give them anything. Maybe I just need to teach them how to program better. And so a lot of times I've had sessions where I'd learn to do nothing for the person except build a program for them. (laughs) And once I understand that, they're like, this is fantastic. I feel so much better because now I actually have a plan and to follow. And I didn't walk away with a sheet of exercises. Um, and that's just because I've understood the person. I understand where they're at. So it's so big. Like you can help help the patients in so many different ways and perspectives other than just giving exercise. I think that's huge once you understand that and you are in a very niche market. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah that's amazing. And so now talking about a little bit the treatment. So what do you usually do? Uh, You use more exercise, you use a lot of manual therapy, you combine both. I know it depends on the patient, but like, what Mm -hmm. do you think it's the most common um, approach needed? So, um, yeah, so much is so easy. The easy answer to say depends, right? And that's physical therapists are beautiful at saying depends. depends. (laughs) So teaching, yeah, teaching students, they're like, oh my gosh, this is, please tell me the the answer. Don't say depends, right? So, uh, so, but with that, yes, um, yes, there's a time to be hands-on manual. Uh, and I do, I had, I have a manual background. Um, and then there's a time, um, there's a time to use that. And then there's a time to get away from it. Um, honestly, because I, th- I think a lot of current evidence doesn't support the long-term use of manual therapy um, for long-term outcomes and goals, because um, you must promote independence. And um, if you're going to promote independence, then you have to move eventually away from from a heavy manual therapy basis, especially for someone who's trying to work on resilience of tissue. I say resilience of tissue means bone and tendon and muscle. And all three, all of those need load uh, and that need and you need to be very there goes my light again. (laughs) Um, But that that also needs to be like. you need to know under you know, you need to understand on a cellular level how you can improve the tissue of bone, muscle, and tendon and, and joints. And through my years of experience, people always ask me about like Chris, where do you get your exercises? Or like, what are you doing different from exercises? And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't pull my exercises off of this off of the the Instagram where you're trying to see this the sexy approach to these really hard things that most people have no business doing. Um, I've, I've entered back into the true strength and conditioning world where you learn the basics of true strength and conditioning. And that's really where somebody should be moving from physical therapy exercises where you get away from bands, um, where you get away from off the table and you truly learn how to How do you load tissue? How do you impact bone to make it actually heal 74% faster for an osteopenic bone in 16 weeks versus not 74% faster, how most people are treated from a stress fracture or something versus how do you know how to appropriate load a tendon for a tendinopathy and tendinitis and keep somebody running versus being sidelined in a boot for 12 weeks. So I have to move away from hands-on manual therapy, which I do, I do to a certain degree. And I do, I'll do um, soft tissue work, joint mobilizations. I'll do repeated motions. I'm a McKinsey based therapist. I'm also a Mulligan based therapist. I'm a, I'm a Maitland trained therapist. So I pull from all of those to see how do I get my best results for who's in front of me? Do I use dry needling? I use dry needling a lot too. Again, a better mousetrap to maybe get a, a, a quicker and better result. 
so I can get the person up and treat them actually how to weight lift. How do they squat? How do they hinge? How do they carry? Can they do a clean step up? And then how often should they do that? And I had to become, I'm trying to become very good at dosing, meaning how often should somebody truly do an exercise? Okay. Because it's difference between you give somebody three sets of 10 versus four sets of six. And you do, you teach that person how to exercise twice a day, three days a week versus every day versus every other day. And so that's what I try to utilize a lot of knowledge base of knowing what are you working on? What are your goals? And are, do you understand the tissue that you're working on from a cellular level and where the person comes from to know how to make that exercise better? I don't I don't teach people how to do anything different than maybe another traditional therapist does or a strength coach. I try to combine them. So I do a lot of weightlifting and training with my patients and many physical therapists, unfortunately, don't have the opportunity to have a weight heavier than 30 pounds in their clinic. Um, but most of my clinics, I'm, I'm going to be teaching somebody how to how to squat or deadlift or carry upwards of 90 pounds or 100 pounds, because that's what the body needs. When somebody runs, when you make impact to the ground, you're at least loading your body two and a half times your body weight with every single landing phase. So eventually a clamshell or a sideline leg raise in a, on a table is not going to do it. Um, you're going to have to train that person under some serious load and know how to dose that person appropriately. So that way they can meet their goal. Yeah. I think that uh, it's so good. I'm so glad to hear all of that because that's, that's very different from what you're used to from the traditional physical therapy and I come from some sports medicine background as well that we were able, when I was in college, we had this project that we just saw athletes every day and we were able to take them to like a, like a soccer field and, mm, yeah. and, you know, and play and test and shoot some balls and, and yeah. run and jump and, and carry weights would we'll take them to the gym. So we did like until the end, like the real like as you said, make them like functional and prepare to to perform to perform as as much as they can, and and you know develop all of that. That I think it's it is a missing part on the clinics, I believe, uh, because we have some weights, but we don't have the space, we don't have the time, yeah. and many times we don't have the equipment to do that. So I think unfortunately that, now, yeah. So yeah. that makes the difference on the last. 20% that you said that we have to, you know, finalize the treatment. So I think that's a, that's very interesting. And I think that's a great, great work that you're doing. And I'm happy to hear someone is doing that because <laughs> it's very needed, right? It's much needed. And, and I think most places don't, don't, don't have this. So Chris, anything else about this part of the athletes and uh, the treatments, anything that you want to add? On top of everything you said? Well, I, I probably have said quite a bit uh, about that. Um, and I know a lot of people will ask me, they'll, they'll see, you know, even on the website, we, we kind of, we highlight some of the, um, the treatments that we do or the analysis that we do. Um, and, and I say we, because, you know, it's not just me and my practice right now. I've been very blessed to have, surround myself with really good other therapists to have the same mindset. I have another therapist that works with me. He's a, he has a running background and a coaching background um, and I'm mentoring him on, on 
everything that I'm learning as well, teaching how to do really good running analysis and work with endurance athletes. But I also have two of the therapists that work with field sport athletes and they, and they do baseball analysis, pitching analysis and recording of that. And, you know, I, I use a Dorsa V technology again, like we talked about that kind of gives me some um, information on just ground reaction forces and just like, loading rates of how somebody loads their their lower legs and how quickly and how stable it actually looks on camera but again the true art and the true way to help somebody is knowing truly how to interpret that and i don't think that's necessary with every single patient and i don't use it with every single patient um i think that's why you i try to highlight um everything that i mentioned before um don't rush through truly knowing who's in front of you and then understanding what you're actually working on um, and and pushing yourself to know like how do I get this person more toward traditional health and healthy fitness goals and do you even know what their goal is um, to, to, meaning do you need to take them to a field do you need to keep them indoors do you need to go with them to the gym um, just to understand that but yeah and so let me just ask you the final questions. Sure. So what is your favorite resource of information? So you just mentioned a lot of yeah. different approach. So like how, like, do you have a suggestion for someone that is more interested in learning more about that? So what would you recommend? Yeah. So I get that question quite a bit. Uh, mainly we say, Chris, what's your source of information, right? Um, because we're all busy and it's hard to look at every single thing individually and sift through all the stuff that's not worth looking at. Um, so a lot of times the biggest piece of advice when people are trying to follow a ton of people online or on Facebook or social media, they're going to waste so much time doing that. So I usually say research the people who are trying to make the biggest impact and pick three people out and follow just the three people. And that was a, that was a big piece of advice that was given to me. That's not unique to me, but it's so true. If you try to have eight, 10, 15 people that you're following, most likely only three of them are worth following and worth putting out enough information. So you're really just wasting your time on the rest of them, unfortunately, because if you're watching, you can't watch, if you're watching everybody else, you can't watch the big players who are important. So one, having a mindset of, of narrow your focus, that's so important. And then follow what's being put out there. For, so for resources, resources and information for me, if somebody has a big interest in the running background, in the running world right now, I'll, I'll just stick with that. Um, the big players right now that I think are p putting forth so much great information out there. And then and then you they're doing a good job of um, summarizing all the research out there. Um, my clinical mentor that I consider is Chris Johnson, who's based out of Seattle, Washington. Um, but part of his uh, Runner Zone cohort, which is an online platform that people can kind of can request to be a part of, but it, it basically ties in good running uh, therapists and clinicians uh, from all over the U.S. and internationally as well. But um, Chris Johnson puts forth so much good information. His partner, Nathan Carlson, based out of Kansas City, and then Joel Sackus, who's based out of North Carolina, who's in, who's in academia as well. Um, known them for years. Um, I'll re pretty much read everything that uh, Chris puts out. Uh, he's been very impactful for me. Um, Jada Sherry, who's based out of Bend, Oregon. Uh, he's put out some great books lately. Um, and uh, he puts forth great information out there. He's definitely a biomechanics um, 
background. But if anybody's interested in true running and understanding that, I would say put, read everything he puts out as well. Um, and then um, Tom Goom, based out of um, Europe, um, who's the running physio, and you can find him online pretty e easily. Um, and um, yeah, so th those are the kind of the, the the three people that I would say I would just kind of narrow your focus down. Chris Johnson, Jada Sherry, and Tom Goom. Um, there's so many more out there. And if anybody, if anybody out there too, I, I don't want to like not highlight somebody, but again, I'm trying to practice what I preach where you try to narrow your focus yeah. a little bit and basically tying in with them. If they're going to be following or highlighting somebody, you know that they are noteworthy and you should follow them. And I could go on a much longer list as well, but I've really connected to that longer list through those three resources. Um, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, if somebody really wants to know how to really take um, strength training to another level, which I think is so powerful, Dan John, who's based off at, based out of Utah, um, is so powerful with the information he puts out, and in it's so relatable for a clinician as well. He does not; have, he's not a clinician by background. He's a uh, field sport, at, uh, a track and field coach, um, but is one of the smartest people I know when it comes to strength training, strength conditioning, and me layering that information on top of a clinical and medical background it has made all the difference. Wow. Okay. We have a good source of information so everybody can look up. I'm going to make sure to put on the show notes so everybody yeah. has access. Perfect. And so what would be the best advice you give to clinicians that are starting their careers? Find a mentor. Yeah. Drive, I say drive further, take less money, but find a mentor. Be, be taught by someone doing something that you want to do and buy them a cup of coffee, be persistent, get in front of them, be respectful, don't be entitled, take less money, drive further to a further clinic and learn from them. And that's so powerful. Um, if you can be, take that humble approach and truly learn, um, good things will happen. I had other guests that they said the same thing. So I've been uh, yeah. listening to this a couple of times. Uh, and the last question, so what personal qualities and abilities that you think are important to become a successful physical therapist? Yes. Um, somebody that can connect with people. Um, I've, I've been in this field a long time, and I don't care how smart somebody is and what they know. If they can't truly connect with somebody and have a social awareness where they can connect with somebody, then they will only be so successful. If they can tie that ability to truly communicate verbally and non-verbally that they truly care about somebody and they truly do care about somebody, not just state that, um, they will have a motivation to push beyond just what's written on a protocol or what's written on a piece of paper. And that's the, and that's the kind of person and personality that will go with that person to a uh, doctor's visit with them because they care about that person. That's the person that will go see them at their house because they can't get out. Um, that will be the person that will meet them on a track or go for a run with them. Um, and that's just the personality that you have with that. If you can have a humble approach and have a thirst for knowledge on top of that, then you've got all the makings to then learn and be mentored. Well, so I think that's 
pretty powerful. If you don't, you can connect and you don't have empathy and you don't want truly want to help your patients. Um, I think you are on the the wrong career, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot of different personalities out there, but when you look at who I want to surround myself with. And because you want to surround yourself with people that are better than you are. So everyone's learning from each other. Um, those are the personality traits that, that I have to have. That I look yeah. For. yeah. Uh, Chris, so if our listeners want to learn more about you, are they yeah. want to, how they can find your contact information? Um, yeah. So you can, um, you might be able to Google me. I'm not sure what will pop up, but uh, nothing that I have to be you know, concerned about. But uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm, I'm based out of Nashville. Um, I'm centrally located. Um, Chris Wolf, W-O-L-F-E is my last name. And my business is Wolf PT. Um, a lot of people ask me what the PT stands for. People think it's physical therapy. A lot of times I say it's performance therapy. So it's Wolf Performance Therapy. Um, and... Um, um, that's our website, www.wolfpt.com. And you can find us there. We'll be actually showcasing a new website here pretty soon. Um, we'll actually have a source of information there. We'll also have uh, a blog posting there where I hope to kind of highlight those people that I just mentioned, a lot of resources they're putting out. I'll be doing some, um, some resources of my own, but yeah, that, that'll have all my contact information on that. Usually my, my cell number uh, as well and my email address. But um, I love getting emails from people. I, sometimes I can be slow to respond to those, um, but I'll try to get back to them as well, just depending upon time. And um, but yeah, you can find me via website. Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talking uh, Certainly. today with me. And I really appreciate it learn a lot about this athletic way, a lot of new things that I didn't know, and I'm sure my listeners learn a lot too. So thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for the time today. Questions, suggestions, or topics you want to hear about, talk to me on ptprotalk.com. Join our email list to receive updates and new episodes and subscribe here. Tell your friends about it and be sure to share. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We are going to publish today's video recording on my YouTube channel, so you can check the link out in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time.